Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing good today. Today, I want to talk to you all about sensory, because a lot of our kids with anxiety or OCD have sensory issues. Now, not all of them have sensory processing disorder, although some do, but a lot of our kids are either hyper or hyposensitive, and that can create its own unique challenges. And I find even in my own home, especially that when I use some sensory approaches, I can really help calm my kids down quicker and I can even help them self-regulate. So I wanted to bring on an expert, someone who talks about sensory all the time. So I invited Cameron from sensorymom.com to come in and share her expertise. And she was a joy to talk to and had some really good tips on how to one, figure out what your child's sensory needs are, even if they don't have a disorder and some fun, interesting, helpful ways to bring some sensory interventions to your home that are simple and easy to do. And if you like what you're hearing in today's episode, there is more where that came from because there is a free sensory workshop that's happening in the next week. And I'll put a link in the show notes and on my website, because this workshop is one that I'm definitely not going to miss. I love free workshops. It's like free education. Like why not? And this workshop talks about sensory diets and how to decode your child's behavior and how to develop sensory approaches to help your child self-regulate, to help your child sleep like all the things that we struggle with. So you don't want to miss that workshop. It's only available, I think in the upcoming week and you have to register, but then you can get a link and you can watch it and get some information for nothing, right? So don't miss that. One other housekeeping thing to talk about, kind of an exciting thing for me is that I have been quietly working on a book. I wasn't really supposed to talk about it until it was ready to come out. And I got the green light from the publisher that I can announce it. So a lot of you have been asking me to create resources for social skills, and I really didn't have anything to offer you. And so I have created a book called Social Skills Activities for Kids, and it's 50 fun exercises for making friends, talking and listening and understanding social rules. So it is a workbook for kids ages roughly six to 10. And they're fun exercises where I kind of walk kids step-by-step on how to build friendships and even navigate just social norms. So if you have a child who struggles with their social skills and you just didn't really know how to grow them or build them, I finally created a book for that. So I will leave a link in the show notes as well for that because it's already on Amazon and you can pre-order it before it even comes out. So enough of this housekeeping. Let's get on with my interview with Cameron. Well, I want to welcome Cameron to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Natasha. I'm so excited. And I was gushing beforehand that I love your podcast. And I appreciate that. So always nice to have people who like have listened to my podcast come on. So that's always a good thing. Yes, I love it. We are going to be talking about something that I need your expertise on. And I know people who listen need your expertise on. We're going to talk all about sensory today. And a lot of the kids that, that I work with and that, you know, the parents have kids in the audience, they have anxiety or OCD, but a lot of them also have sensory. It kind of goes hand in hand for a lot of our kids. And even though they don't have a sensory processing disorder label, they still have sensory needs that need to be addressed. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's commonly a piece, especially with anxiety, um, and, and, and certainly too with, with OCD, but, um, there's such a link between sensory processing challenges and anxiety. Like they really, you know, go hand in hand. So they do. And I think sometimes parents get overwhelmed because they're like, Oh my gosh, my child has so many things. And I'm like, really, they don't, right. it's just, you know, it's just a big ball of everything that goes, that fits together. You know, right. if you're sensitive, you're sensitive inside and out. Well, totally. And, you know, I think it, it also gets tricky um, because on one hand, it's helpful to have a diagnosis to give you a framework as a parent for like, okay, how am I addressing these things? 
But like you said, on the other hand, it can then get sort of overwhelming. Like, wait, my child has anxiety. He has sensory processing, like, you know, and, um, I actually, it's funny when, when my, so my older son has sensory processing disorder. And even though it's not, you know, it's a formal DSM diagnosis, um, you know, he, he had, he struggles with sensory processing issues. Um, and when he was, gosh, how old was he? He was about two and a half and we were seeing an occupational therapist. And at the time, my anxiety was, I mean, it was just through the roof. I, I was so worried about him. And I kept asking his OT, like, well, you know, what do you think is going on? Like, I really wanted her to give me a label for it to help contain my own anxiety. And finally, at a certain point, she just sat me down and she, I love that she did this. And I loved her whole approach. And she just looked at me and she's like, you need to pull it together (laughs) and and you need to stop. Like we don't need a label for your son. Giving you a label is not going to change what's going on. You already know what's going on with him. So you really need to let go of that. Um, And it, that one conversation dramatically reduced my anxiety. I was like, Oh, okay, I don't need to like put any of this in a box. I just need to tune in to what my child's struggling with and figure out the best way to address that, regardless of whether you want to call it sensory processing or anxiety or, or what. Um, and for me, that ended up being so, so helpful. You know, though, like I said, not to, to say that it's not useful to get a diagnosis because that can be very, very useful. But um, sometimes, you know, it just gets a little tricky. Yeah. And I think, you know, every kid has some sensory needs. So whether your child has a a label or not, you know, I think, and I think it just depends on the, on the parenting, you know, personality too, as far as like some people just want to Google everything to death and, and identify in the community of like SPD versus you know, my child just like, what are my child's needs? I love the way that the OT pulled you aside and said that. Yeah. 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 Like, let's just tune in and, and figure out what's going on with your kid and we don't need a name for it. Um, but let's find what those needs are and then let's collaborate and figure out what are the best interventions to help address it. You know, what's going to make the most difference, what's going to help him the most. And yeah, it was, it was such a great perspective shift for me. Yeah. I love that. That's better than the OT experience I had. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. No, I know. And, and I mean, it, we've had um, several OTs because we, um, we relocated when um, we moved when my son was three. And so we were then searching and, and sometimes, yeah, it takes a little trial and error to get the right fit. Um, but it, it, it makes such a difference when you have someone who really like sees what you're struggling with as a parent and, you know, sees what your child is struggling and can kind of be like a bridge to help ease both of your anxieties. Cause you oh, know, yeah. parenting anxiety that goes along with parenting a child who's got some extra needs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So today I thought we could go over just how to identify if your child has sensory needs, because most of the people listening may not really understand like what sensory is. Um, it's not really necessarily a sensory audience. And so I thought just identifying our child's sensory needs. And then I thought we could talk about what you do with that. You know, what, what information, how does that help? Right. Right. Okay. Perfect. So I think a good place to start, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll use my, my own experience, um, is, Kids with sensory needs, usually if you look back and you kind of track their development from, from birth, you'll start, you'll see some patterns and, and all of the moms I work with, most of the moms I work with have school-aged kids. So like I will toddler to school-aged and they're kind of in the beginning of, you know, maybe the teacher, the preschool teacher or the kindergarten teacher has flagged like, Hey, you know, I've noticed X, Y, and Z. And so then when they start backtracking, 
and they start telling me the history of like what the infancy was like, what they're, they were like, like as a toddler, you see a lot of patterns. So, and this was very true for my son. So, um, and I should mention too before, cause I'm not going to, I know off the top of my head, I'm not going to cover every single one, but there's a great, um, like SPD checklist that breaks it down by, you know, infancy, toddlerhood, preschool, where you can kind of go through and, and they give you a lot of like of signs and you can check which ones apply to your child and see if there's a pattern. And that is um, on the Star Foundation's website. Um, okay. Yeah, that would be really helpful. I'll link that in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Um, so common things in infancy that you hear are, um, you know, as a child, they were colicky. Um, they cried all the time. Um, they... A lot of times kids with sensory stuff have feeding issues that go back into infancy and kind of continue into toddlerhood. Um, when uh, I'm just going to tell you like things that I hear a lot from moms and also my own experience. So for example, my son, every time I put him on his back to change his diaper, he screamed uncontrollably. And that's a really common sign for kids, kids who um, infants, toddlers, children who avoid movement, that, that's a big sensory red flag. Um, on the flip side, kids who are constantly seeking out movement, like, um, you know, you they're like a bull in a china shop, just they can't sit still, they are rough and tumble, and even more so than a typical child, you know, because all kids like to run around, or most, a lot of kids. Um, but these kids are like seeking it out, so either avoiding movement or seeking out extra movement. Again, a baby who seems distressed when you change positions, if you put them on their back or <clears throat> even like tilt their head back to wash their hair, that will generally cause a lot of dysregulation in a child who has sensory issues. For school-aged, you know, toddler, preschool, if you have a kid who is constantly biting things, biting people, biting toys, that can be a sign of sensory. And again, all of these things just by themselves are not all too concerning. But when it starts to become more indicative of an underlying sensory um, issue is when you're seeing multiple of these red flags in one kid. So I want to be clear because sometimes people can be like, oh, my kid went through a biting phase. Does he have sensory? You know, and and, you know, unless you're seeing a pattern, it, it's, it's probably not an underlying sensory issue. Children with uh, sensory issues can be very particular about, um, you know, they may like to really line up their toys. Um, and this is where it gets confusing because that can overlap with OCD, with anxiety, um, needing things to be just so. Um, that can be a sign of an underlying sensory processing issue. Let me think of some more just of my own oh, transitions. Kids who have a, a hard time transitioning from activity to activity, um, that's really common. Meltdowns that are like next level. Um, this is my, uh, this is where my child shines in the meltdown department. <laughs> um, so, and, and this is so common. So, if you have a kid, especially a toddler, who you know, all toddlers are going to have their tantrums and their meltdowns, but a kid with sensory issues, their meltdowns are going to be more frequent and more intense. And, um, they are, they tend to be very difficult to soothe. So it just takes a very long time to get their systems regulated when, when they go into a meltdown. Um, and I remember with my older son, we had, we were on a trip with my family and we were in the airport and he was 20 months. I know exactly what it was. And he had a meltdown that I am still traumatized by. Mm -hmm. like, I, I can't even describe it. And I just remember looking at my husband. Well, I actually made my husband remove him and go as far away from the <laughs> boarding area as possible, but we could still hear him. It lasted a good 45 minutes, maybe an hour. He could not calm down. Like he just couldn't, there was nothing we could do. And that is not typical. If that's happening a lot with your child, then 
then something more is going on. That's a common hallmark. Um, kids who like will seek out tight spots to squeeze into, um, it seems kind of random, but that can be a sign, um, sensitivity to textures or clothing, um, tags on clothing, certain shoes, you know, a lot of that tactile texture sensitivity um, is rooted in an underlying sensory issue. And I think like a lot of what you said, I'm sure a lot of people are, can, can relate and have kids who have components of that. And, right. you know, like my daughter, my oldest daughter has, I mean, you just described her completely. You know, she was the, she was the baby that you had to hold like away from you. Yeah. You know, she was, had failure to thrive. She couldn't function. Like, I mean, she had like severe sensory issues. Right. We needed to get like a feeding therapist and an OT like early, early on. But then I think about my other two kids and, you know, my Mr. Nine, he's got to get like, he's got to squish himself in between like the mattresses and right, he needs right. that huge bean bag. But I wouldn't say he has sensory, he doesn't have sensory processing disorder, but he definitely right. is a sensory seeker and he yeah. gets that comfort. So he's got some sensory needs. It's not, yeah. it's not really um, impeding in, in his ability to function, but he's got certain sensory needs. Yeah. And I think we can take all that, you know, I feel like we can take all that stuff and if we can really parentally hone in on it and say, what are my child's sensory needs? You know, let me look at them through a sensory lens and I can help their anxiety or OCD or their behavior or just their dysregulation through the sensory lens. Because I think, you know, I spend so much time talking about their thoughts, like that's my thing, you know, is like change their thoughts, change their behavior. But this is a good pause to say, let's look at them through a sensory lens and what can we do physically, you know, whether they're hyper or hyposensitive to help regulate them. Right, right, right. You know, it's, so when you think about like a child who's experiencing anxiety and you kind of imagine, okay, this is a kid who's really sensitive, what's happening in their brain is that essentially their brain is just going into fight or flight more frequently and more, more readily than a less sensitive kid. And the same exact thing happens for kids who have sensory processing issues. So it's like, you know, their bodies are taking in or, or their brains are taking in all this information from their senses and it's not getting processed efficiently. So all of a sudden this little alarm is going off. This is my way. I'm, this is not a scientific way of describing yeah. it. This is my way of understanding it. And I, I think it's a, a good way to help kind of sip, break it down. So their body's taking in sounds, sights, smells, and for whatever reason, their brain is registering that input as some sort of threat where it's sounding their little amygdala alarm system. And then they're having this fight, flight, or freeze reaction. And that reaction can look like a severe meltdown. It can look like, you know, you put a plate of food in front of them and two foods are touching and all of a sudden they're screaming and crying and refusing to eat. It's not that they're being difficult or purposely trying to make our lives extremely challenging as parents, it's that their little brains are saying something is not safe right now. And this is how I'm going to protect you. So a lot of those um, behaviors that you'll see, like when you said your son likes to be smushed in the mattress, his body is telling him, I need some more input to, to help get things regulated. And he's found a super adaptive way to go get that input. So as parents, I think when we're looking at the sensory piece, like you said, whether or not it's like, oh, my child has sensory processing disorder or just, oh, I'm noticing my child has some sensitivities, some specific sensory needs. I think what I found for me that's been the most helpful is taking on this lens of like, okay, I'm going to just be really curious about what is it that my son is seeking out right now? And how, what are ways that I can help give his body that input, like more adaptive ways? Because kids are so smart and so adaptive and they will find ways. 
But when they can't find an adaptive way, they're going to find a maladaptive way, you know, to get, but, and, and so if we kind of reframe what we might perceive as difficult behavior, challenging behavior, obstinate behavior, weird behavior, you know, I can tell you how many things like my son does. And I'm like, that's weird. You know, (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Um, If we can kind of like dial back our judgments and look at it from like, a brain regulation perspective and think, oh, my child's body, my child's nervous system is needing something and he's seeking it out. So what are the ways that, that help calm his nervous system? And the tricky thing about sensory is that it presents differently for every kid. You know, every kid has their unique um, sensory profile and their unique needs so as a parent, it's going to be a lot of trial and error of, of kind of collaborating with your child and figuring out what, what are the best ways to get those needs met. Yeah, I totally agree because it can look so vastly different in every kid. And I like what you said about, you know, looking at it from a different viewpoint because you can't really get a child to not have sensory issues. You know, and I think sometimes we want to like fix it. And I know with my oldest daughter, it wasn't fixing her skin. It was letting her know that her skin has some superpowers. Like in my, in my house, we always talk about our sensory superpowers because we all have a little flavor of sensory issues going on. Um, we just have a name for it now. And getting her to realize like her skin and her tongue are like, that's her superpower. Like she can taste a lemon. Like if it was like one teaspoon of lemon in a recipe, she will taste that lemon, you know, or, or her, her her hands will feel closed instead of her eyes. Like that's how she picks clothes mm-hmm. out. Even at 15, it's like, mom, feel this. I'm going to get these pants. Right. Right. So, right. Right. you know, it's not about her adapting to the clothes. It was like her adapting to her sensory needs. Yes. Yeah. Like understanding what those are and, and how to, how to kind of flip it around to where it's a positive. And um, I, that, that is such an important thing too, I think as parents, and I know this firsthand and from the moms that I work with, that when you have a kid who's really being challenged with sensory processing, it's just extra challenging to parent in a lot of ways. And so we can tend to get caught up in seeing like what's wrong or what's difficult about it. And if we can kind of flip that exactly the way that you've taught your daughter and you teach your kids to kind of flip it around and focus on the other side, because everything is like, you know, a coin that has two sides to it. So the side that's tricky, but then if you flip it over, there's this side that's really amazing. And, you know, like my, my older son is, he is just he is just sensitive to everything and nothing gets past him. Like, I mean, he just tunes in to every little thing and that can be challenging as a parent, you know, but on the other hand, I'm like, wow, he is so perceptive, you know, like he's really scanning his environment and just taking in so much information that is going to be really useful to him if he can channel it, you know, So as parents, we kind of have to work against our, you know, evolutionary biology, which is to have a negativity bias and focus in on like what's wrong and how we're going to fix that. We have to really consciously be making an effort to when that's happening, because it's going to, um, and like I said, it's just how we're wired to, to intentionally flip that around. So I, I like, I love that with like, the superpower of, you know, being able to feel things and taste things. And yeah, like that might be inconvenient sometimes, but then there's another <laughs> thing that's really amazing. You know, I mean, that would yeah. Be- and if they can hone in on it, you know, and identify it and realize, but I also think like you can, if you know their sensory needs parentally, you can use that as a coping mechanism for their anxiety or OCD, you know, because like that's something their body seeks anyway. And so knowing what that is, knowing what their sensory diet is or what they need can be really helpful. I know with my son, not to keep talking about my kids, but he's, 
he, he would totally look like he has ADHD. Like anyone, any fly on the wall in my house would be like, what's wrong with that kid? Why is he running back and forth? But when he is overstimulated or dysregulated, you know, his, his sensory go-to is activity, you know? And so, and, and he has found a coping mechanism for himself. So he, he asks for, um, jump ropes, which is really weird, you know, (laughs) and he like, he just jump ropes around our house and he, um, you know, and I got him like this huge beanbag and I got him like this big swing. He's a very active person when he's feeling dysregulated and that's yeah. super annoying. I'll be honest. Like, right, right, right. yeah, my, my husband's kind of like, can you just sit down? Can you just sit down? Right. You know, just calm down. But when I notice it and I'm in a good mom Zen mode, I'll be right, like, right. you know, something's not okay with him. Like he's, yeah. he's trying to help himself. Right. By the time he gets in between a mattress, he's really not doing well. <laughs> right, right, right. That's like his last, last resort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I see the mattress kind of sideways and he's in between, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, we've got to do some. <laughs> yeah. I am missed the early signs because he is right. not okay. Right, right. But, but I think observing knows. Yeah. Like, so he knows, like, he just intuitively knows what he needs and then he'll go and I, I love that. I mean, I just, I love the image of him like jump roping around your house. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's so hard. God, I mean, being a parent is just hard, but it's hard not to get annoyed with our kids, you know, when they're bouncing off the walls or, you know, um, and my younger son is very much like that. He has ants in his hands, like he can not sit still and he is just constantly, constantly moving. And he has sensory needs too, though I would say he doesn't have sensory processing disorder. He just has some sensory needs and it does get on your nerves, you know, and then my older son, his is more, and this is a great kind of representation of how different it can look between two kids. My older son also needs more of that proprioceptive input, but it's because his body tends to be more sluggish. Like he's got low tone, he tires really easily. And that's all rooted, at, and, and not to get into this part, but that's all rooted in um, vestibular processing, which is generally, you know, the foundation of, of sensory issues. Like if a child is having a lot of sensory issues in different areas, there's generally a foundational dysfunction in the vestibular processing. And, um, and that's a big word. And, and when, when our OT first said vestibular, I'm like, I was embarrassed. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. You know, I'm like <laughs> on the side Googling like vestibular. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, so if anyone's listening, you're like, what's she talking about? Um, you can, it's, I have a lot of information on it um, on my site that I try to break down. I, I try to simplify it. So it's, easier to digest, but, but so for a kid like my older son, who's like more sluggish, he's going to seek out that, that input too, but it looks very different than the way my younger one seeks it out, who he also has a vestibular processing issue, but is just running a lot faster. You know, it's like he, he, his brain is like, he can't keep up with like how fast his system is going. So mm-hmm. it looks like hyperactivity. Um, and so I totally can relate to feeling like, Oh, if anyone was a fly on the wall, they would think ADHD in a heartbeat. Cause that is what it looks like. So, and, and I think this can be overwhelming, but I think a great thing for parents to know is you can start really small. Like you don't have to feel like, Oh wait, now I have to turn my whole playroom into a gym or, you know, but there's, there's very um, simple and easy things that you can do. Like having a bin with a jump rope and a balance board and a scooter board, just a few little items that you know, okay, I'm seeing my child start showing, they're showing signs of dysregulation let's get that bin out and let me hand him the jump rope or um, with my older son. A lot of times when I, I see it unraveling, I, we have a couple little things we do. Like one thing is I'll say, I'll say, okay, Hunter, let's do the pushing game. Cause I, I know his body in that moment, like needs some more pressure. And so 
And sometimes he doesn't want to do it. I have to, you know, kind of coax him into it. But a lot of times he's like, okay. And so he'll, we'll just stand like hand to hand and he'll be pushing. And we literally just push up against each other. And then he tries to push me over. And I don't always intervene. Like you said, like when I'm having my good mom days and I'm regulated myself, I can intervene pretty quickly, but I don't always get in that early. But when I can, it's amazing the the difference that it makes. So, you know, you notice the signs of dysregulation or you notice your child is starting to kind of fall apart. And then you say, okay, I know his body needs X. And, And then if you have an easy way to quickly intervene and do that, it can totally change the trajectory of the rest of, you know, your afternoon or morning or whenever it is. Yeah, I completely agree. It really is a time saver if if you really play detective and you really figure out what your child's sensory needs are. And then in that moment, if you're having a good mom moment, you give them their needs. I mean, a lot of times I get annoyed with my son or my husband gets annoyed and we tell him to be quiet. And then it goes on for like two hours because he didn't get his needs met, you know? Yeah. Or my daughter, actually this morning, my youngest, you know, feeling anxious about going to school, you know, she really just needed a deep pressure hug. Now that, you know, I worked with her thoughts and stuff, but really I took five minutes to sit down on the stairs and say, come here. And I gave her a really deep pressure hug and like, and I kind of reset her nervous system and that's, that's what she needed. Now, if I did that with my oldest, she would have been as stiff as a board because, you know, it's, that's just not how her needs need to be met. Right. But I think figuring out, and like you said, you don't have to have a huge gym in your house. I think it's just about figuring out what does your child need yeah. and, and leaning into those sensory needs in those moments can be such an added tool to, right. to help regulate them. Right. Absolutely. And I think just as a baseline, and I know, again, I know this from my own personal experience and, and from working with a lot of moms is just just having that knowledge of like oh wait hold on my child isn't purposely trying to drive me insane like this is not like you know just being like oh wait there's something going on that is physiological and neurological it it helps you as a parent kind of discard your judgments and really just be able to tune into your kid better you know and and then on the other hand, even when we have that knowledge, it doesn't mean we're always perfectly tuning in to our kids. I mean, it's impossible. You know, we, no one can do that. So I, I work, a lot of my work is just kind of helping moms sort through their mom guilt of like, yeah. oh, I feel so bad. I don't, yeah, my child does really annoy me all the time. And yeah. I feel terrible because I know he knows I'm annoyed. And then part of me knows he's not doing it on purpose, but it's just hard. And I think what I always say is, you know, this is the hardest job in the entire world. And we really have to give ourselves some grace and some reprieve. And, um, and for me, when I, the times when I'm like, when I have those days where I'm just, I just cannot tolerate, you know, and I'm just, I have zero patience. Instead of beating myself up, I try to switch it around and go, oh, okay, this is just a sign that I'm depleted and I need to do something to take care of that. Because if I don't do that, then my intolerance is going to last, you know, several more days. And then we're going to have a mess on our hands. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it's hard to do, but I, I, I don't know. I, I feel passionate about that point of, of just moms um, really going more easy on themselves and, um, and also recognizing that if you're losing it back to back with your kids, it's not that you're a bad mom. It's that you need some TLC. Yeah. So, you know, what is that going to look like? And, we're so worried about our kids and we're so focused on helping them and figuring out, you know, what they need. But if we aren't focusing on what's going on with us, it, it there's not going to be a lot of um, like sustainable progress with our kids, you know, cause yeah. we have to regulate first, but. And we're all human, you know, and like parenting is a totally messy job. And I think 
we can learn so much from our own, from our kids about our own issues. And I, I think modeling to them, one, our own struggles and even our own sensory struggles, just having a conversation about that is, is modeling communication and that we're all imperfect and that we can own our own stuff. You know, like my, my oldest daughter has a lot of oral um, defensiveness and she eats with her mouth open, like super loud and she's 15. And so it is loud and I have misophonia. And so I have sensory issues and I get triggered with like rage when I hear that. And I just tell her, cause sometimes I'm not very patient. I'll be like, let me get my headphones before you're going to eat. Or if we're in the car, I'll be like, you cannot eat anymore. I just can't handle it. But then I explain like, you know, you have sensory issues. Well, this is how like I process noise and it's really overwhelming. Or my youngest likes to bounce a ball lately, (laughs) a really big ball for her own sensory input. I'm sure like right next to the couch where I'm sitting. Well, I have sensory issues. So hearing that ball over and over, it's probably my misophonia again. Yeah. It will make me want to like, scream. And sometimes I do, (laughs) but then I explain to her, you know what, you know, that ball is really making me feel overwhelmed. Like it's causing me anxiety. And she'll be like, why is that ball making you anxious mom? And then we have a conversation about it. Like the sound just makes me like my whole body feel stiff when I hear that sound. So I think it's just being real with our kids, you know, and human and being forgiving, I mean, I have some really ugly mom moments and going back and be like, I'm sorry, that was totally not okay. Oh, I just had um, a conversation with mom about this. And first of all, that I, I so relate to the noise, the, the misophonia. My number one trigger is noise. And yeah. I have two boys and they are so loud and we happen to have hardwood floors and I see things and it's just like, I'm like what I, sometimes I'm like, is this my version of hell? Like, have I, <laughs> That's I don't know what's happening right now. I mean, it is. And the same thing, like I will say, you guys, it is so noisy in here. I am, I'm getting, well, the recent thing that, and, and it's funny because now my four-year-old says this, I'll, I'll say I'm starting to feel really agitated. Like that's the word I'm because that's how I feel. I'm like starting to feel agitated and on edge. And I'll say like, I need you to go in the other room or I'll say, I'm going upstairs. So when you guys are done, you know, I'll come back down. Um, But, um, but, but to the point of just, you know, having those bad mom moments where we lose it, like we have to understand that that's just going to happen. But the important thing is how we repair it afterwards. And I think this is an area where a lot of us never had this modeled. We don't know that it's important to repair a relational rupture when it happens because no one ever did that for us. Our parents didn't do that. And, you know, I, I work with a lot of moms who are like, Oh God, I've never even thought about that. You know, I like, and I think that's an important point of like, when you lose it, you know, when the dust settles, just to go back to your child and say, oh my gosh, I was really agitated. I completely lost it. I yelled and you didn't deserve that. And I'm so sorry. And give a hug. And it doesn't need to be like a 30 minute, you know, delving into the whole thing, but just an ownership of like, hey, that that wasn't my best moment. And I'm sorry that you were a recipient of that. And and you know, I love you. And I like, I think it is so much more powerful than we even realize Mm -hmm. when we're able to do that. And, um, and another thing, which I actually learned this from my older brother and his wife, which I love this. Um, and this was before I had kids. I remember him telling me that when he and his wife had an argument, if the kids were kind of in the vicinity that they would stop and they would say to the kids, Hey guys, we're having an argument. <laughs> like they would just like announce wow. it. We're having an argument. FYI. Um, I'm really irritated at mom because of this. And she's really irritated <laughs> because of this. And we're having a hard time talking it out. So just wanted to let you know. And then <laughs> that's awesome. I know. I remember this before I had kids and I, you know, I was working as a therapist. I'm like, God, that is genius. And, um, and so my husband and I have kind of adapted that 
to when we have these, you know, a tense moment in front of the kids, we'll just kind of call it out. Like, Hey guys, you know, same thing. I'll just be like, I'm really annoyed at dad right now. (laughs) And then I'll like shoot my husband a look, you know, and he'll be like, okay, well, (laughs) like we can, you know, we'll debate who's more annoyed, but I'll say we're having an argument and we're really frustrated. And actually we're probably going to have to work it out later because we're too frustrated to even talk right now. And that's okay. And, you know, at some point, if that's the case, you really want to come back and model like, and, and sometimes I, you know, will, will, I'm like, I should be an actress. Like we'll fake it just because yeah. I need to model like some sort of reconciliation, even if we have <laughs> So we'll kind of do like a profile. I'll be like, you know, it's okay. Like you, you were upset and that's okay. Like give him a hug and he'll say, you know, give me a hug in front of the kids. So they see, and then, you know, we haven't really resolved it. Then later, you know, when they're not around, then we'll finish talking. But um, I, well, I think when, and this is, again, is my personal experience having um, a a child who's got some extra needs that are really challenging it really puts an additional strain on the marriage a lot of times. And it like tension is just running higher, you know, and stress levels can be elevated, especially if your child is um, really dysregulated. And we go through little waves where my older son will kind of just go through these waves where things really seem to escalate and it'll last like a couple months and, you know, and then it'll kind of regulate again. So when we're in one of those like rough patches, which is like a good way of saying it, you know, it's harder to stay connected as a couple. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I, and this is totally, you know, not directly related to the topic of sensory, but I just, I feel like a lot of couples who have kids with sensory issues experience that where they may disagree on what's going on with their child. They may disagree on how to handle what's going on with their child and it causes tension. And the, the thing is, and not to, you know, add to, you know, parents guilt or worry, but when you have a child who's more sensitive and whose nervous system is more sensitized, when there's tension in the marriage, when there's tension in the household, it's just going to exacerbate it. And, um, you know, it's kind of like this catch 22. So I, I work a lot with, with, the moms that, that I um, see on just like, how can you better manage that stress and that tension so that there is just more of a sense of calm yeah. in the household so that the, you have more reserves to, to deal with the sensory needs. Yeah. Which totally makes sense. Yeah. So where can people find you? Because I'm, it sounds like you have a lot of good resources and you work with these moms yeah, so I um, I have a website. It's called Sensory Mom. So just sensorymom.com. Okay. Um, and uh, th- that's the main place people can find me. And I have a Facebook page. Um, I'm a little slow to the social media. I don't have Instagram or anything. But yeah. I have a Facebook page so you can find me there. Um, and um, I do blog for understood.org, um, which is a great and amazing um, resource parents and their focus is more on attention and, and learning challenges, but they have a lot of information too about sensory. But there's a couple other sites that I reference a lot. One of them is Your Kids Table, mm-hmm. uh, which is an amazing site. And for parents who have kids with feeding issues and eating issues, this is like the number one resource. It's amazing. Um, and, and your kids' table, not to interrupt you, um, yeah. they are actually doing a um, webinar this week. Yes. And so that is a really good one to catch because they do free webinars like once or twice a year and go over just all like approaches on how to help kids with sensory issues. Or even if your child just has behavioral issues, they can give you approaches. So I'll leave a link in the show notes for their webinar because it's free all week and you can catch it. So yeah, go on. I didn't yeah. want to interrupt you, but she is such an amazing um, wealth of knowledge. Um, I don't know her personally, but I feel like I do because I use her site so much. Um, and, and that's a wonderful resource. And um, there's another great resource that I direct a lot of my moms to, and that's called Lemon Lime Adventures. 
and um, that she's got a lot of great articles on sensory and sensory needs and um, and parenting a child with sensory processing. So, and that's also a good one um, because she is also coming out with. <laughs> I'm like a little promoter for them, but uh, Dana from Lemon Lime Adventures, she's yeah. the one that does Calm the Chaos and. Calm the Chaos uh, is coming out again next month. And I'll be talking more about that as she um, does her free series in March on how to help kids with like just behavior and dysregulation. So there'll be more to come on on that as well. So you can check out her website because definitely it's a great place to start. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's so There are so many great resources. I feel like, you know, parents who have kids where you're kind of like, something is off, I'm not quite sure, um, you know, check out the, the sensory checklist. And if you notice a pattern, then um, my, my opinion is that the, the best the next step is to find an OT in your area who's certified in sensory integration and set up a call. I mean, you can just do a consult over the phone and share what's going on and see if they would recommend doing an evaluation. If there truly is like a, an underlying sensory piece that's causing a lot of dysfunction in your child, then doing intervention with an OT who has that sensory integration um, uh, perspective is going to be such an amazing intervention. Yeah. Um, and not to say that's the only intervention, but it's a great place to start when you're addressing sensory needs. Definitely. Well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. My pleasure. So I hope you found that interesting. I hope there were some takeaways for you. I found Cameron offered me some things. I never thought about putting a sensory bin in my car. I love that idea. And if you want more ideas like that or want more in-depth conversation about that, definitely take advantage of the free workshop that's coming up and I will leave a link so that you can register for that and find a good time to build some more skills. If you want to learn more about Cameron, she is a parent coach and her website is chock full of great sensory tips and you can visit her at sensorymom.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider hitting a star on iTunes right below the name of the podcast that gives some feedback to other people that this is a valuable show. And if you have 10 more seconds, you can leave a review. I greatly appreciate that. It helps other parents realize that they might get something from listening to the podcast because we all are short on time. And to show my gratitude, I always like to end the show reading one of those reviews. So I really want to say thank you to Chelly Belly, and I might be mispronouncing. It might be Shella, Bella, I'm not sure. But I want to thank you for an amazingly kind review. She wrote, Natasha, I can't thank you enough for the information you share in this podcast. I have no idea how you find the time while working and being a mom to three kids with anxiety and apparently medical issues as well, or why you provide all this content for free, but I'm incredibly grateful. I'm a marriage and family therapist. So when my preschooler suddenly started having all of these anxiety and OCD symptoms and behavior problems, I of course started researching the heck out of it but nothing else I've found has even come close to the in-depth and practical information that you provide. For just about every issue we've encountered, school refusal, oppositional defiant behavior, compulsive urination, could it be pandas or pans? Natasha has a podcast or a video that addresses that topic in depth. And from her extensive personal and professional experience, she clearly just gets it and is able to get to the heart of what's going on and what to do about it in a way that even all of my therapist friends and the therapists we're taking my son to see who specializes in working with preschoolers, but not specifically anxiety and OCD, don't. When I started doing ERP exercises with my son, it immediately had a huge impact on his overall anxiety level. And although it's continued to be an up and down learning process since then, I know we're headed in the right direction and it's starting to feel like, like we have our kid back. I love that. So I really appreciate that. And if you have something to say, leave a review and maybe next time I'll be reading your review. So I hope you guys find the sparkle in everything you do, and I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. 
When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse and we had tried counseling and it was not going well. Natasha gave us practical tools. She wasn't like the books that we had read that were, you know, you have three kids, but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just, you know, life is great for the other two. She's helped me understand OCD on a level that no therapist I have come across seems to understand. Natasha had practical real life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I to recognize um, the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. Her tools are, I mean, life-changing. She has been amazing, and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later, just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way, and without her, our lives would be very different. We're very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy, and sometimes it feels hopeless, and um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son, I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope, they've given me tools and support, and I, I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal, and they are some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD. Hi, my name is Natasha Daniels, and I understand what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and OCD. I'm doing it every single day. And I also know what it feels like to empower them, to give them the skills and tools to help themselves, to watch them blossom, face their fears, and become more than their anxiety and more than their OCD. And I want to do that for you as well. Join me in the AT Parenting Community where I partner with you and walk alongside you in your journey, helping you getting to know your family and your child's particular needs and particular struggles. I'll help guide you and walk you through ways to empower your own kids and see success in your house. You will finally have someone in your corner who not only has the understanding of your struggle, but has the expertise and knowledge to help get you through it. You can find out more about the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com or you can text all one word AT Parenting Community to 44222. Together we can do this. She's really good and I hope I'll be like her. I have had OCD for over five years. I have trained my brain and you can do the same thing.